welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by the full squad, Ricky Blue in the 757. How you doing today, brother? Well, I just got done complaining to Mike for about 15 minutes about how bad of a day I had, but then I remembered that Virginia Tech has won their last two ACC games, so this podcast won't be um, completely brutal. Yeah, it won't be all doom and gloom, will it, Mike McDaniel? No, it will not. The offense has come alive. Oh, God, I can't wait for Mike to tell me how this is a tournament team. Could be. All right, all right. Here we go. Let's, 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 let's. Could be. Save it for after the recognition of the world's best sponsor, Dr. Jeremy Councilver at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right. Let's get right into it. Ricky, as you mentioned, Virginia Tech winners of two in a row. First, it was Saturday in Tallahassee getting a program gorilla off the back. First win there since, what was it, 1990 in Tallahassee for Virginia Tech. Obviously, that game was highlighted by an excellent shooting day from beyond the arc from Sean Padula and Hunter Couture, who just went berserk in the second half they follow that up by riding the momentum at home 9 p.m start on wednesday night Hokies take down georgia tech pretty easily as you would expect them to as you would hope that they would given the yellow jacket struggles but things were all doom and gloom following the loss to boston college the demoralizing buzzer beater against miami but it seems like the Hokies, for two games in a row now have looked like the team that we expected them to be coming into the year. Naturally, you have some fans on Twitter, some analysts saying, we're right back into this tournament mix. Ricky LeBloom, what do you say to them? It's got to be more than just two games, man. Like, let's not, let's not understate the win at Florida State, right? That, I, I know Florida State was missing some guys, and that's certainly worth worth remembering, but um that's just been kind of a bugaboo for the program since before i was born uh florida state is still a very good basketball team and virginia tech was able to steal a win in uh really hard circumstances um and then they take care of business against georgia tech that the thing that i want people just to keep you know keep in mind is that virginia tech shot 61 percent against florida state and 52 percent against Georgia Tech, those numbers are not really sustainable, right? They're like they're not going to, to be unconscious from the field for the remainder of the season. So um, granted, the, the game against Florida State was relatively, um, it, it, at least down the stretch, it, it wasn't really close. So, you know, maybe Tech falls down a little bit and they still win that game. Same thing goes with Georgia Tech, but you have to you, you have to basically bank on the, the shooting percentages to come down at least a little bit. Um, but again, you have to do this for more than just a two-game stretch in order to kind of flip the narrative, right? They've got back-to-back games against Pitt. Um, if they can go 2-0 and in both of these games, then all of a sudden you start thinking, all right, 
there is a more realistic path for Virginia Tech to find their way back into the tournament. But for right now, this team still has a lot of work to do, and I'm more than willing to to give give the the players credit for their improvement. I mean, Storm Murphy has been far better down um, over the last few games than he had been prior, and he deserves credit for that. Um, I've been a big fan of Sean Padula for a while now. I still think he needs to be featured a lot more. Hunter Couture did not play particularly well against Georgia Tech offensively, but uh, what he did against Florida State was just superstar level stuff. Um, I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to you know give credit to these guys because obviously all three of us want this team to win basketball games, but I'm I'm just I want people to temper their expectations a little bit. And, and, you know, just realize that, hey, it's okay to be happy about these wins while also remaining a bit uncertain about their ability to sustain this for the remainder of the season because it's not going to be easy. Ding, ding, ding. Right on the money, Rick. <laughs> All right. So, right Mike, let, 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 let me lay something out. Here's kind of my theory on where fans should be, right? First of all, I totally agree with Ricky. Good Good on this team and good on Mike Young because after a loss like Miami, it would be so easy for this team to fold and, you know, put their tail between their legs and have no fight anymore. But this team hasn't done that. An incredibly impressive performance in Tallahassee. You do what you need to do against Georgia Tech. And, and now you have life. But unfortunately, life over the course of a week doesn't undo the many L's on the record that you took over the course of the months of December and the vast majority of January. As we saw with Georgia Tech last year, Georgia Tech wasn't a tournament team on February 1st, 2020. They ultimately end up winning the ACC. It's a long schedule and teams can get hot at the right time. But in order for Virginia Tech fans to start realistically talking about the NCAA tournament, I started this after Florida State because that felt like a big turning point for a lot of people. I said, you need to beat Georgia Tech, check. Beat Pitt, both home and away, and then beat Syracuse. That brings you to 500 in ACC. That would be seven and seven with six games left to play, where if you can pull a four and two record, end up with a winning record in conference, and then pick up a win in the, in the ACC tournament, I think that puts you at least in the conversation on the bubble. But the problem is Virginia Tech can't afford to take any more bad losses. And, and certainly Pittsburgh right now, whether it's home or away, would be a bad loss. And Syracuse isn't playing inspiring basketball either. So you do that, you take that four-game sweep of Georgia Tech, Pitt, Pitt Syracuse, and then – you try to take a four and two stretch. And even there, I think who you beat and who you lose to is very important because Virginia Tech needs quadrant one wins and they need them badly. They need quadrant two wins too. Like True. <laughs> they're not gonna get they're not gonna get a lot of quadrant one wins with the remainder of the schedule. Like there's simply just not enough quality competition um, in the quadrant one realm, right? But you can pick up some quadrant two wins here down the stretch. Now, Virginia Tech going into uh, that game against Georgia Tech had 10 games remaining. I thought if the Hokies went eight and two in that stretch, that gives you an idea of how thin the margin for error is, by the way, with this game now. They have to go like eight and two down the stretch um, in order to 
be, be realistically back in the conversation for the tournament. I mean, this was a team and, and this continues to be a team that the computers like, right? The metrics that the NCAA tournament committee Which I selection find just mind boggling that the net is in, in Ken Palm are so, so big on this team, just given what we've seen over the course of the season. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the schedule that they played early in the year. Now, Virginia Tech didn't win a ton of games in, in that stretch, but beating the breaks off St. Bonaventure looks really good now, right? Losing a close game to Xavier looks really good now. Beating Cornell looks good. Uh, beating Navy, who's probably going to win the Patriot League, looks good. So Virginia Tech didn't totally uh, do themselves in uh, with how they played in the non-conference play, despite some disappointing losses um, at Dayton, the Xavier game, the Memphis game. Um, the, the games in conference play are the ones that have killed them. Uh, going on the road, losing to Boston College. Uh, the NC, the first NC State game, which, yeah, coming off of a COVID pause, but that's a game that they should not have lost. Uh, losing to Wake Forest, which looked a lot worse at the time. It's, it's actually turning out to be kind of a, a good loss, so to speak. Um, but Tech's picking up some good conference wins, too. You know, beating Notre Dame in Blacksburg looks like it's going to be a really good win. Notre Dame continues to play really good basketball. Uh, losing to Miami is a killer because Miami has been pretty decent all year long. And I thought Tech played better than Miami did for a majority of that basketball game. So to kind of falter in the last four or five minutes, like we've seen, was a bummer. Uh, but Virginia Tech's been playing better offensive basketball dating back to the North Carolina game. I thought offensively they, they played pretty well against the Tar Heels on the road. I thought they played good offensive basketball against Miami and that heartbreaking buzzer beater last week. And certainly over the last two games, you know, scoring 85 against Florida State on the road is no joke. Beating Georgia Tech by 15 while scoring 81 points is a big deal as well. So there is a lot of work to do. Virginia Tech is not a tournament team today. But going into uh, the Miami game last week, Virginia Tech was on the next four out in the tournament, right? They were one of the first eight teams left out of the field going into that Miami game last week. And now they've beaten Florida State and Georgia Tech. And no, they're not one of the, the first or second four out right now, right? But this is a team that I think could get back on the cusp of the tournament if they continue to play good basketball. But I think this upcoming stretch is extremely important. You know, getting Pitt back to back is going to be tough. I understand that Pittsburgh is not a very good basketball team this year, but you're playing a team twice in 48 hours, once on the road, once at home. That's going to be really hard to sweep for Virginia Tech. If they do that, those could be two of the biggest wins on the season that we're going to look back on if this team ends up making a run to get to the tournament, right? This is going to be a stretch that we remember. Um, this Florida State, Georgia Tech, two games against Pitt, and Syracuse. You guys will remember the reason why these pit games are now back to back within 48 hours is because one of these Pittsburgh games got postponed earlier in the year due to a COVID pause. So now you get them stacked up. Now you get this Pittsburgh game on the road. Then you come back home and you play four straight at home. So Virginia Tech's got a lot of home games remaining on the schedule. And that's a good thing here over the last nine. I think they played six out of their last nine at home, um, which is great. But Tech's going to have to continue to play really good basketball in order to give themselves a chance with a really thin margin for error at this point. Okay, so let's say that Virginia Tech has been playing better basketball of late because, I mean, you look at the way that they played against Florida State, you look at the way that they played against Georgia Tech. Like Mike mentioned, I think they played good basketball for about 35 minutes against the University of Miami, who, who's no slouch. Something seems to have clicked to a degree here 
what's the difference? And I think you can't pinpoint just, you know, Hunter Couture shooting the lights out as the only reason that they were able to beat Florida State and that they've been able to go on a little bit of a run here. Well, their ability to shoot the lights out has been the biggest change. Um, they've they've been absolutely dead eye from behind the arc. And um, anytime you do that, you're going to give yourself a chance to beat anybody. But I think Storm Murphy has played better. I think it's important to give him credit for that, given how critical I've been of him all season. I still think he was worthy of that criticism, uh, but he's also worthy of the credit that I'm giving him now. Um, I, I think Padula has, has given this team a lift off the bench. I, I still kind of going back to our last podcast, the idea of getting Padula and storm minutes together on the floor is intriguing. Given this team's inability to create, um, having as many ball handlers on the floor as possible is, is really beneficial. Also, Naheem Aline is just kind of, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what to what to say about Naheem at this point. He's very hit or miss, and he's very streaky, and um, he's just not giving you really what you're looking for. And it's been that way all season. And if you can, if you've got two point guards that are playing hot, I think it'd be much better for the Hokies to put those two guys next to Couture rather than continue playing Naheem Aline down the stretch. And if you look at uh, Virginia Tech's last few games, Naheem Aline's minutes have dropped. He only played 26 against Georgia Tech, and that's probably about where he needs to be moving forward given his inefficiency on the offensive end. Um, so if this team can find a way to continue to shoot efficiently from outside, then they're going to give themselves a chance to beat anybody. There's not a team left on the schedule that Virginia Tech can't beat in through some fashion, especially if they shoot the ball that well, it's just a matter of trying to sustain that. I don't know if that's sustainable. I really don't. Um, this team's, this team is not good enough to the point where they're not going to have at least one clunker down this stretch. They're, they're going to have a game where they look really disjointed because that's just how basketball is. Right. And this team is, is certainly flawed enough where they're not going to be able to overcome that at some point. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen. It could certainly happen against Virginia, even though they've been a mess in their own right. It could happen against North Carolina. Um, it could happen at Georgia Tech on a 9 p.m. start in Atlanta where with a team that's not going to have much to play for. Um, so who knows? But the, the biggest difference has obviously been their ability to score from outside, and they need to find a way to sustain that for as long as they can. I mean, I think the lesson of Virginia Tech basketball over the course of, I mean, I don't know, really the era of success that we've seen is that if you're a team that lives and dies by the three and you have a night where you have one or two of those guys that you rely on that aren't locked and loaded, you're not above losing to anybody. <laughs> I think Boston College may have sent that message. But like I said, I think we need to get through this first four game stretch that started with Georgia tech and ends with Syracuse, but the two pit games in between four and O before fans should even remotely put the word NCAA tournament in their mouth. So one down three to go. Mike McDaniel, what degree of confidence do you have that they can get through that stretch unscathed? 
Um, I'm pretty concerned about this back-to-back pit stretch. Like, pit, it's again, very hard to beat the same team twice in one season, let alone inside of a, a 72-hour hour window. Yeah, from like start the, to finish. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's not going to be easy, and. Going to Pittsburgh is a tough place to go play a basketball game. Zoo. It's an it's annoying. Like I feel like Tech has always had trouble going to Pitt for some reason. Um, I and and that's not. I, I know the jokes about football, but it's true with basketball too. You know, um, the Austin Zoo baby. But yeah, it's a tough place to go win. And when you got to play a team Saturday, then come back on Monday night and play them again. I mean, that is, that's difficult. Um, and I know Pitt's not that great, but it's just a stretch of games there that I think is going to be tough. I'm not as concerned. I, Syracuse provides a different kind of concern. I mean, you're going to have after Monday night, you're going to have basically five days to prepare because you play them on Saturday. Uh, but Syracuse's defense is one that Virginia tech does not see all year until they play Syracuse, right? That, that matchup zone. So that's a little bit of a concern. And the reason why is because last night against Georgia tech in the final, like six or seven minutes, Georgia tech was down by 15 or so. And they started playing that half court trap defense um, where they basically just extended a three, two zone. And that gave Virginia tech some issues on a couple of possessions. Uh, They were able to come out of a timeout. I think it was the under eight or the under four timeout. And, it seemed like they were able to more easily get the ball to the middle um, and get the ball down into the paint to Mutz and Aluma. They got a couple of really easy baskets there breaking that trap, but they were having trouble with that initially. And I think Syracuse's defense obviously provides some of those similar looks. I mean, they're not going to be trapping, but they're going to be playing that, that matchup zone that's really annoying to play against. So that's a different kind of issue um, schematically, but the reason why Pittsburgh is, something that you know that stretch is daunting because of the the two games in very short time frame as far as like the the previous discussion regarding what's changed for virginia tech i think it's been mike young gaining trust with some of the young guys when some of his veterans haven't been playing particularly well so rick mentioned the minutes distribution um, with naheem ali and not receiving as many minutes um and and you know, obviously Padula had the huge game against Florida State, but then didn't play as well last night. And so what did Mike Young do? He rode the hot hand with Storm, just like he rode the hot hand with Padula against Florida State. And and Maddox has been getting more minutes. And David Gusan has been getting more minutes. He was good last night. David Gusan was really good last night defensively. He had 7.7 rebounds. He was active when he was in there. I thought he was very good. And he's been a boost too that that nobody's really talking about much. But I think it's Mike Young's trust he's gaining in some of these younger players as they've gotten extended minutes uh, to leave them out there uh, in favor of some of those veterans. And that's something that he probably wouldn't have done a few weeks ago. I think that Virginia Tech's poor play has forced his hand to do that a little bit. Um, But, you know, that's something we've been advocating for too. You know, we've been talking about how more guys need to see some minutes and, you know, I, I think playing Padula more is, is helpful. Playing Darius Maddox more. Anytime you can get more playmakers on the floor that can contribute, I think that's really helpful. But when they're not playing well, you got to pull them out of the game, right? So 
He's been doing that with a lean. Padula didn't play great last night. He pulled him out. You know, Padula was simply outplaying Storm at Florida State, so he left Storm on the bench for long stretches, right? Uh, Kevin Aluma was on the stretch. He, yes, he was in foul trouble. Um, he was on the bench against Florida State, and yeah, he was dealing with foul trouble, but, you know, Mike Young wasn't afraid to, to bench his all-ACC caliber player against Florida State, which is something we haven't seen from Mike Young. So it's some coaching adjustments, too, and the players are just simply shooting the ball well right now. Rick, your confidence degree, you think it's going to happen or you think everyone needs to calm down? Well, everyone always needs to calm down one way or the other. Um, sometimes that includes myself. What what stretch specifically are you referring to? Are you referring to the the double pit Syracuse? Double pit Syracuse, double pit Syracuse 3 0. Can it happen? Will it happen? It can. I don't think it will. They're, they're probably going to go two and one in that stretch. Um, if they go one and two, then we can go ahead and pack this dog and pony show up. Yep. Um, cause neither one of those two teams is a team that you can lose to when you are outside looking in and get away with it. Right. Like if tech loses to North Carolina on the 19th tech can rebound from that and still find a way to the bubble. And then it's just up to the, up to the committee. If they lose, you know, at Miami on the 26th, they could, they might be able to get away with that. Those are the only you, two, I think, Rick. You lose to Pitt or you lose to Syracuse, and all of a sudden it's like, well, you're just you're out of you're out of chances, right? Like you've you, the cat has used all nine lives. <laughs> yeah. And, I, um. So yeah, I I don't think it's likely. I, I think they're probably going to go two and one. Um. The the flip side of that coin is that the second game against Pitt is at home, which I think does make a difference because the second, the second of the two games is going to be the toughest to win in my opinion, because there's really nothing you can do to, to make adjustments at that point, because you you've already thrown everything at them in game one. So really it's just a matter of who executes, right? It's a matter of, of Jimmy's and Joe's and, I would much rather be able to play that game at home. Yeah. And the home field advantage will play a role, right? Because last night, nine o'clock start, I did go to the game and, you know, at certain points you're like, come on, ACC network, you're really going to put us in this slot. In Dude, my favorite of- is watching the, the commentators commentate from their homes. That's oh, my favorite part. Oh, not, not only do we get a nine o'clock start, but ESPN shafts us with the guys uh, commentating from their couch for all well, intents and purposes. Why, why couldn't we call the game from home then? Dude. Why don't we so just you, do it? You do not want to get me started on this. The, the ACC network has absolutely bungled a lot of these games, um, but forgive me there, for interrupting, there, Andrew. The product, the product is very embarrassing, but I just want to give credit to the students, right? Because 9 p.m. start last night, probably about, 30% capacity in the non-student section, student section, 100% filled out. And quite frankly, a lot of those seats that were being filled elsewhere in the stadium were students who were just like, oh, every seat at midcourt is empty. I'll just go sit there. But, you know, and again, I don't blame people. Like, you know, if, if you're an no. adult with a job or, 
you have kids at home. Yeah. You can't go to a basketball game on a Wednesday that starts at nine and ends at 11. It's so but, stupid. It's horrible. Yeah. But, but if least, you're a student and you can, you can handle the four hours of sleep and you yeah. can, then you can handle the nine o'clock tip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, Monday seven o'clock start, I believe. So the place will be a little more filled out, especially, you know, if we're coming off of a victory on Saturday, there will be some real momentum to ride Andrew Alex's birthday. A lot of people will uh, be celebrating that, <laughs> you know, the blood alcohol content of the crowd might be generally higher than your average Monday night game. But uh, I think that's important. But Mike, you know, you spoke to the metrics, right? And the net does love Virginia Zach. And I, I think it's obviously because you've lost some really close games to some decent teams. With that being said, you know, football power index loved three and nine Nebraska football power index two years ago. Actually, if you remember, loved Virginia tech in the year that we went five and six. Ultimately at the end of the day, you're judged by your record of wins and losses. And, and that's where it really stings. Not just the close well, losses against the better teams, but you know, dropping one against a Boston college, dropping that one against NC state, those are the ones you want back because then you would have a little bit of margin for error down the stretch. And now if you're the Hokies, yeah, it's razor thin. Well, yeah. Also, if you just start to lose games, the metrics don't like you anymore. You know, <laughs> um, a reason why they, they like Virginia Tech okay is because Tech's been so up and down this year. You know, they stole, they, you know, they want, I don't want to say stole because they were favored in the games they won, but they won a couple of games in the non-conference that were good wins. Um, they've now won a couple ACC games that are, that are good wins. Uh, Notre Dame and Florida State are two good wins. Memphis now, a bad loss yet? Yeah. <laughs> like, not great. Um, hey, but Imani Bates is 17. He's got plenty of room to uh, and grow. And apparently there's rumors he might be leaving the program, which, I mean, we all knew he was leaving the program after the season to go to the NBA, but there's rumors he's leaving the program midseason. Not great. More, shot, more shots for Landers now that he check up. God, I, I was told that Penny Hardaway would be an excellent coach. By who? By the media. Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, you have a basketball Hall of Famer in Larry Brown, albeit he might be a skeleton at this point on the coaching staff. You thought that might bridge the gap a little bit. I'm very surprised that they're underachieving in the fashion that they are. I am too, because they literally have a bunch of five stars on their roster. So I'm surprised also because you can, only, lose at that point, but you can only screw this up so much in college basketball when you have in those the American athletic conference, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty hard to do. Like it really does come down to coaching at some point. And Hardaway was defending himself. He goes, look, I got a bunch of freshmen. Yeah. Coach K had a bunch of five-star freshmen too, but there's a reason why he's coach K and you're Penny Hardaway, right? Like coaching, it comes down to coaching. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, I think that's enough on the uh, on the hoops front here. I want to transition to talking about what used to be the most important day in winter in college football, and that is the February signing day. Unfortunately, doesn't matter much anymore. Did Virginia Tech make any moves that move the needle? You know, as they build this program going forward. No. Um, no. Okay. My my general rule of thumb now when it comes to recruiting is 
yeah, you need to recruit well, but I'm not going to buy it until I see it on the field. And um, I don't think that that's an unfair way to go about things. Um, I know some people are, are really excited about the Devin Alvis signing. Um, I'm, I'm not going to buy into it really until, until we see him do some things. Taj Gary's in the transfer portal, which oddly enough brings Virginia Tech to nine scholarship running backs. Um, which is quite funny, I think, if you if you actually think about it, that Virginia Tech at one point had 10 scholarship running backs. Um, I don't know of any program that would ever do that ever, but. 10 running backs and no real quarterbacks. Hey, it's we had the... one quarterback that would have been a good running back. Two, really. It's true. Um, <laughs> I, I will say 10, 10 running backs and having trouble filling out your starting quarterback and one quality backup is quite the choice when you're going into a year where you know, well, see, you have this is, this is something that, that, that Fuente has have been doing for years and it was because he couldn't get it right. He was recruiting the running back spot because everyone that he had brought in early on just wasn't getting it done. Right. So right. Trayvon, he Trayvon was never really a, a uh, liked in my my understanding by the the Fuente staff um, and all of those other guys that he brought in guys like Caleb Stewart, Cole Beck, none of those guys ever ever produced. So they just kept over recruiting, over recruiting, over recruiting. And next thing you know, you've got all these you know all these players at running back, and you only play one at a time, right? So it, it's not like you've got you know wide receiver where you obviously need like what, eight to 10 minimum scholarship receivers in the program. So, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what, if, if any of these new signees are able to do something in the fall. One thing that I am interested in, in seeing is Shamari Connor being moved back to safety um, and being taken out of that, that, um, that nickel uh, outside linebacker spot. I'm interested to see if that will fit him better. I have a feeling that it will. Yeah, I like the Chamari Connor move to safety a lot. Um, I saw the uh, two twin brothers, Jade and Jordan McDonald, are moving to linebacker also, and they both have pretty good size, and I think they would work out at outside linebacker if they put a little bit more weight on. So I actually like that move. Um, Virginia Tech needs to be a bit more short out at um, at the linebacker spots. So I do Especially like that Especially now that they're going to be playing three of them. Correct. Yeah, that, that's correct. So I really like that move, and I like the Chamari Connor move a lot um, immediately, but the McDonald twins for, for the future, uh, because I don't think they're going to be playing this fall. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I guess it's kind of open season, but I don't anticipate they'll be playing a lot of snaps this fall. What do we make of the schedule? The schedule was released. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, um, well, go ahead, Mike. Well, I mean, on paper – the schedule's not that hard, but this team has also got no reason to believe it's going to be very good, right? I mean, outside of just change change with the coaching staff and just, like, a bump, right, from that. Like, I don't see – I don't know. It's just, it's just hard, right? Like, there's so many unknowns on offense in particular. Like, no more Raheem Blackshear. You know, no more uh, – you know, you got receiver. Trey Turner's gone. Tavion Robinson's gone. Um, you're losing multiple offensive linemen up front. 
Um, so the quarterback position is a total unknown. You know, you got a couple transfers. You got Taj Bullock. Defensively, a lot of guys are gone. It's just, it's going to be a different looking team in the fall. And it's going to take Brent Pry a while. Like, it's not like Fuente, like, I understand recruiting was bad, but it's not like this team didn't have any talent. Like, there was talent, just a lot of it's leaving, right? Like, a lot of it's leaving. And the other part of it, too, is that, and Brent Pry brought this up in his signing day press conference yesterday, they're already, they, the staff did, a, first of all, the staff did a really good job retaining the guys for, for 2022, I thought, and being able to close you know, and getting Xavier Chaplin and Daquan Wright and Devin Alves from, from, you know, adding him from Melbourne, Florida. I I think those are three good signings to add on signing day. Daquan Wright, you know, 24 seven sports just gave him a fourth star as a tight end. He's a really athletic kid. I think Virginia Tech did really well in the tight end room in this class. Um, But you can't really count this class for Brent Pry other than just trying to retain some guys. Right. I thought they did a really good job of that to their credit, but Pry brought up the fact that for 2023, for that class, he feels like they're already behind, right? And the reason why he said that was because you try to establish these relationships with these kids starting in ninth grade, right, when they're freshmen. That's when you want to establish your relationships. And he said yesterday they're just trying to get in the fight with a lot of these, these kids that they're just offering scholarships to. You know, ideally, you've had that relationship with kids for, for two, three, four years, and that's something that, you know, Quite honestly, we would not have heard from Fuente's staff, but this is how you're supposed to recruit. Like that, that's why Virginia Tech's, we'll talk about the support staff in a minute, but this is why Virginia Tech's built out their staff. This is why we're seeing Pry and his staff posting all over social media and, and talking about recruiting philosophies with the media, which is something Fuente would never have gotten into. But it's just a different coaching staff in that regard, but they are behind for 2023. So Look, that doesn't mean Virginia Tech can't have a good recruiting class in 2023. I anticipate the recruiting class for 23 will be fine, right? But you're not going to be able to truly evaluate Brent Pry and his staff until 2024 and beyond on the recruiting front, in my opinion, because that's when you're really going to be able to see, okay, these guys have had relationships with sophomores, right? Um, Sophomores in high school, you've been able to build that relationship for a couple of years and try to get your foot in the door. They're going to do the best they can for 23. I'm sure the class will be fine, but 24 and beyond is where the bread's going to be buttered for Brent Pry. And that's where it's always buttered, right? With these, with these new coaches, it's what does the program look like? What does the roster look like when you're three years in three full years in and it's all your guys that you recruited, right? So long, long story short, I have no idea what to make of the schedule because I don't know what Virginia tech's going to have in that room on either side of the football. It's going to be a total crapshoot. I think a bowl, getting to a bowl game in year one, I think given what Virginia Tech's losing would be an accomplishment, quite honestly, for Brent Pry and his staff. I don't want to try to set the bar too low, but honestly, like there's a lot that they're losing, a lot that they're losing. And the schedule's soft, but I mean, what, are, what do you guys think are reasonable expectations given what they're walking into here? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm setting the bar too low. I don't know. I mean, to what degree does that tour of Virginia high schools help you in the short run? Obviously, I think in the long run, it will pay dividends, but could just forming relationships with the, you know, you're not going to be able to get into a parent's house right away, but obviously a coach, a high school coaching staff, the power brokers in the room are going to have some influence and maybe if a kid's wavering, they can say at the last minute, why not? consider Virginia Tech I I just don't know how much that can help you when like you said Mike and, and like Brent Price said 
so much of the work of schools like Penn State, North Carolina, UVA not going to be as much of a problem because they're dealing with the same situation. But those teams have done the groundwork over the course of the past two, three years. And, and it's hard to play catch up on such short notice. The, sh- the short term and, and Rick, I'll, like, I'll give the floor to you here in just like 10 seconds. I was just going to say in the short term, it's going to help you know, establishing those relationships, but I think it's going to be on a very individualized basis. It's going to depend on the recruit, right? Virginia Tech's done well in certain high schools like Highland Springs more recently, where they're a little bit further along with reestablishing the relationships, right? Like Fuente's staff did a better job this past recruiting cycle at Highland Springs. Tech had a couple of recruits from there. They added to that here in 22. I think Virginia Tech will have more success for guys they want out of Highland Springs, for example, than maybe some schools in the 757. Rick? It's all about showing progress for me. Um, I'm not expecting uh, Virginia Tech to be a top five or excuse me, top 25 class for 2023. Um, But I want to see progress. I want to see signs that Virginia Tech is able to recruit and close down the stretch with with some recruits. And I, I know they're going to lose some, and that's fine. Um, but I need to see progress. Going back to the schedule, um, I think there's a legitimate chance that Virginia Tech goes 4-0 and to finish. Um, Virginia Tech gets Georgia Tech at home. They get road trips to Duke and Liberty, and then they finish with Virginia at home. Um, I don't know what the rest of the schedule looks like. There's a pretty brutal four-game, five-game stretch here, actually, in the middle of the season. Uh, But Duke, Liberty, Virginia, uh, and with Georgia Tech before that, that's a very winnable stretch all four games. Now, the season will basically be determined in this middle stretch, right? So you've got wait, or excuse me, West Virginia at home. That's going to be a crapshoot, given that it's a rivalry game. West Virginia is just kind of a mess in general. Uh, North Carolina, I don't know what to expect from them. I have no idea if they're going to be any good. Uh, Pitt, same boat without Kenny Pickett. No idea what to expect. Miami, I, I don't know what to expect with Mario Cristobal, NC State that may be the the team that is um, the most well-known among the, the group I just mentioned. But those five games are really going to determine whether or not Virginia Tech has a chance at maybe seven or eight wins. Uh, if that's a really brutal stretch for this team and they go four, or excuse me, one and four, oh and five, um, then all of a sudden you're looking at a, a pretty rough season. But starting out with Old Dominion, you have to win that game. Uh, it'll be an interesting matchup given that uh, Brent Pry and Ricky Ronnie were obviously working together at Penn State. And now they get to coach against each other. Uh, Boston College, that's going to be not not an easy game. Um, Jeff Halfley's boys are certainly going to make it uh, make it tough. And then Wofford, that's no question. Uh, but the remaining stretch after that is really going to determine kind of ending with NC State. Um, what kind of team are we going to see? And really. If Virginia Tech goes six and six and they show they show signs towards the end of the season of being a better football team, I'll be fine um, because I I do think this roster is pretty bad right now as it's currently constructed. Um, but I think it's also possible, given how weak the ACC Coastal is every year, that Virginia Tech could win eight or nine games. 
I don't think it's likely, but it's certainly possible given just all the question marks that are in the conference. I mean, losing Kenny Pickett is not is no easy no easy chore for Pittsburgh. Uh, losing Sam Howe, they had Sam Howe last year, and we know how that was. And now they have to try and replace him. Um, Virginia, do do, do it, does anyone think Virginia is going to be any good? No, I don't no. think so. Duke, same deal. Georgia Tech, they may have a they may have an interim coach by the beginning of November. Um, Miami, who knows with that? Is Tyler Van Dyke going to have a sophomore slump? He might. So the, 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 these are all things that we just don't really know with the coastal. And uh, given how crazy this division is, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that Virginia Tech finds themselves semi in contention in the coastal if if they're able to show progress if, if brent pry is able to be as good of a coach as we hope he can be the coastal's not completely off the table it's just not likely all right last thing i want to touch on is the support staff virginia tech it seems keeps rolling out new members every day analysts being added i know that this isn't the kind of stuff that's going to make waves on the average fans radar but dumb it down for us what does it mean well it means virginia tech is investing in the program and they are finding they're doing what the big boys are doing right like sports is generally a, a copycat industry where you you figure out what the teams that are successful are doing and you do those things and the teams that win a lot of games and recruit really well have giant support staffs and um, Pete BVT on Twitter um, made, I, I can't remember the exact numbers he used, but something along the lines of 46 different football personnel on this team. Uh, Georgia has 51 by his count. So you're starting to see the, the investment that this program has needed to make in terms of infrastructure human infrastructure um, in hiring all of these assistants. I'm a huge fan of the Dyrell Roberts hire because I loved uh, bringing back that old clip from the Nebraska game. Um, having Xavier Deby and Dyrell Roberts both on staff at the same time is just really cool for me. Uh, Jarrett Ferguson coming back, he was someone who um, was kind of ousted by the old staff, but I, I think that they're Having him back is going to be a huge plus. Kyle Chung is still around. Kaishan Jarrett is still around. So you have all of these guys who are quality control guys, lower level assistants. And those are the kinds of, of people you have to have in place if you're going to play like the big boys. And um, hopefully this is the, the kind of staff that uh, Brent Pry needs in order to get Virginia Tech to the place that we all know it can be. I, uh, I, ironically, this is all a product of Justin Fuente interviewing at Baylor. <laughs> I hate to bring that back it's up again. It certainly could be. Um, it helped. I, I don't, I don't want to say that's the sole reason, but, and, and Virginia Tech's always been trying, you know, the, the whole, re they just surpassed the drive for 25 today with the 25,000 donors. That's a really big deal for the athletic department. It took them five years. They got there. That's a big deal. And there's more money being, invested into the football program but that Baylor interview didn't hurt because Fuente no. said I need this is what I need not for, not only from an, an infrastructure standpoint as far as like 
buildings, facilities, and, and things facilities like that. are concerned, but 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 people too. Um, so no, it's not the it's of course it's not the only reason, but it's a reason. Um, and like I've mentioned before on this podcast, we're going to look back on that Baylor interview from 2019, um, late 2019, early 2020, whenever it was, and we're going to say, you know what, we're glad that happened long term, right? Even though Fuente's not here anymore, we're glad that that happened because I think it is going to benefit Virginia Tech indirectly in the long run. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And there's always a conversation to be had, at least on the message boards, people bringing up maybe Fuente was the guy that died on the sword that forced Virginia Tech to make some changes in the way they go about funding their football program. But I think that that regime made no shortage of mistakes themselves that cost them. So, you know, Two things can be true at the same time. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts? I got a cheeseburger to go eat. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. What kind of cheese you got on that burger there, Andrew? Cheddar. All right, that's fine. Um, What's not fine? Like Munster. Oh, cheese. Or, or, or something like that. Or, or, even, or And honestly, yellow American too, right? Like white American, really good. Provolone, really good. Um, Colby Jack is my personal favorite. That's pretty uh, good. Cheddar, good choice. Cheddar, really yeah. good. Uh, but yeah, just don't, 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 don't use yellow American. Like, grow, grow your your reach when it comes to cheeses. Um, but no, rate, review, subscribe. Doesn't Virginia Tech have a Doesn't Virginia Tech have a new cheese sponsor today? Cooper that, official cheese. Yeah, hey, I will say, in. I will say this. That was the corniest advertisement I have ever seen. I will say this. I did not know that Cooper cheese existed before. Now that they are the official cheese of Virginia tech, I do know they exist. And because they are a friend of mind, I will probably at some point try it as such becoming the official cheese of Virginia tech did its job. Now they have to win me over. Um, another quick note on a couple of the other analyst hires, uh, Jeff Carpenter is coming from LSU. Big and time. Carrie and Carrie Webb is coming from Penn State, and he also has served as a special teams coordinator at Western Carolina. So you're you're seeing guys come into the program that have experience in big time programs, and that's really the kind of experience that um, you want to see. And I was kind of hoping I saw more of it with some of the actual um, on field assistants, but um, alas, it is what it is. Um, also, Mac Brown has received a contract extension. Uh, Great news! After after having a horrendous season, I find that quite amusing. Okay, let's just say Mac Brown was doing well in 2026. He'll be what 76 years old. I'm gonna check because now I'm curious. I don't know 74, how old 76. he is. Um, you know what? The the contract extension all it does it enables him to continue recruiting on the trail against coaches who are saying, "Oh, he's too old. He's gonna retire soon." So that's the only so thing it does. Currently. He is currently 70, which means he'll be 74 by the end of that contract. I don't um, think he even I don't even think he gets to 74. I swear to you, I think this is only for recruiting. I'm telling you. Oh man, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just like for me, if you're if you're Carolina, like why would you be willing to put yourself up for more money? when he just had a pretty awful season. I agree. Recruiting. 
I don't know. All right, <laughs> gentlemen. I don't, I, I don't disagree. I just think it's because of recruiting. Maybe, uh, I guess last thing, Mike, a lot of people are like, oh, Mac Brown's doing a terrible job. Ha ha ha. Look, it's not working. From the Carolina perspective, is he like actually, is there any perceived hot seat or apparently not, right? They just got a contract extension. I don't, if, yeah, I don't think he, so. If they have another bad season, then he should be. He they're absolutely not, should be. And they're not going to fire him. They're just going to say, you don't, fire. you don't get to punt Sam Howell's last season away and then suck the next year and stick around, in my opinion. I, and, and the, the thing, just, just real quick, the, the reason why I'm not as like, oh, yeah, Carolina sucked so bad. Yeah, they suck so bad relative to the media's 10 or 11 win expectations, which I thought were crazy to begin with. Now, did they underperform? Yes, of course they did. No, I, I didn't think they'd be a six-win team. I thought they would be like an eight or a nine-win team, but the talk about 10, 11, 12 wins going to a play- There were people who were saying, oh, yeah, Carolina could go to a playoff. I'm like, are you insane? This defense was barely a top 50 unit last year, and they're losing two 1,000-yard running backs and a bunch of receivers. Are you kidding me? Like Sam Howell's good. He's not that good. I mean, I mean, you don't get to go six and seven and complain about people saying you sucked. Right. No, no, I mean, I, I agree. I'm just saying especially in especially in the ACC, which was god awful last I, year. I don't disagree with that at all. I just mean relative. I thought the expectations were absurd. I guess my whole point. I thought that was nuts. Oh, well, I mean, we all we all knew that going in. Yeah. Every year the media picks that one school that that they are convinced is going to be like a top 10 team and, and they always fall flat on their face. Usually it's Miami. Usually it's Texas. This year it was North Carolina. That's why I don't feel as bad about picking Miami to win the coastal this year, because they were the most experienced team coming back. And even though I was that guy who picked Miami, this was the year to do it. I thought, but whatever, I was wrong. Well, that's what you get for relying on Miami. Yep. Won't make that mistake again. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like we literally did say, I said, Mike, Kenny Pickett, gear five. Is there any reason to believe that we're going to see no. anything different than what we've seen? He goes, ha, no, I was wrong. Laugh me off. <laughs> I was, I mean, he was mediocre for four years. That was unbelievable when he did this year. I was wrong. Yep. I'm happy to be wrong about that. That was an unreal season he had. Good I'm for Kenny. That. Heisman jersey finalist. Native. You kidding me? Heisman finalist. Not only a Jersey native, he went to my buddy's high school. Anyway, whatever. Red Bank Catholic, right? Uh, Ocean. I think. He went to Ocean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Regardless, same town, same area. Yeah. Regardless, cheeseburger coming. Shout out to the good folks at Champ Sports Bar and Cafe. Calling in my order so I can pick it up right when I get there. Great people. Shout out, Rich. Uh, we'll be back probably after the two pit games, maybe we can talk between that and the Syracuse game, kind of take temperature, see what's going on until then. Enjoy your weekend, my friends. Hokie hangover podcast, main street pharmacy. We're glad to have you as always. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.